Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Believe Them Brits podcast, deep into the off-season now. Have you missed us? We've missed you. It's been a fair few weeks, but we're very glad to be back and providing you with, I would say some Browns news, but they seem to have actually been following my advice and not been very newsworthy at the start of this off-season, which has been a refreshing change of pace. But we will give some opinions. It's the, uh, the the tag deadline was yesterday, so we have some thoughts and feelings about that, what it means for the free agency starter, which is next week, and then on to the draft as well. Uh, let me bring in my fellow host for today. First of all, all the way from Newcastle, not in his uh, quiet abode in the Midlands, he is... Been on a work trip all the way to all the way to the sunny sites of Newcastle. Sean Blundell. Sean, how are you, mate? I'm all good, mate. Yeah, getting a bit of a nosebleed this far north in the country, but uh, yeah, all good, mate. It's uh, good to be back on. Good to be talking some Browns. We had a few weeks without uh, without much to talk about. I think the moves that we have made have been quite good. So that's probably one of the probably why they haven't been overly uh, you know, newsworthy, so to speak. But uh, yeah, it's good to, good to catch up with. Absolutely. And of course, d- down in Wales, I say down in Wales, you're just across in Wales from me. You're definitely down from Sean at the moment. Owain Jones. Owain, you've been quite busy, actually, haven't you? You've been on another podcast waving the Believeland Brits flag for us as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, there's a bit of pre-season training before we come back, and so I thought I'd, uh, <laughs> thought I'd get in a, a quick pod before before we came back and sort of grease the grease the wheels. Yeah, which uh, which podcast was that for again? In case people want to go and see that one. Uh, so that was the Dogland podcast with uh, with Jackson McCurry, good mate of mine, and he does some great work over there. So um, encourage anyone who's you know wanting some more Browns content to to go and check him out. Absolutely, yeah, definitely wanted to get the shares out because they gave us one. Um, definitely repay the favour. You might see a wine dot around on a few. He's uh, very into the uh, the preseason stuff, as you'll see with our content over the coming weeks as well. He's he's been the one that's been driving the uh, that's been banging the drum for us to get back as quick as we have been, and uh, we will be getting. Uh, more and more into it, especially as we get to free agency and the draft. So, folks, let's uh, let's get to the to the Browns pieces of which, of news of which actually do exist. Uh, there's not too much to talk about, but the main bit of news um, in terms of player movement, at the very least, is the fact that John Johnson has indeed been designated to be released. Um, is it? Is it March 15th or is it May 15th? I can't recall now as to which one it is. There, There is a cap. That, it saves $9.5 million on the cap. I know that much. Um, but, wine. this is one of which you said um, back when we were doing our Week 18 season roundup that this was a move that you fully expected could be on the cards as a way of you know, finding someone with a bit of money behind that could be cut and just was not performing. Yeah, I think this one's been obviously coming for a while. Um, he did have a little bit of an uplift towards the end of the season, last season, just like he did the season before. But I think we all we all sort of thought that free a true free safety was something that they needed to address in the summer, which meant, you know, obviously having to let go of John Johnson with, with Grant Delpipi and the other safety on a cheaper cheaper contract. So I think it's something that every Browns fan would have expected. It was it was quite nice actually that it came so early so that you know the speculation um could all stop and and we could start to actually have a look at some names that we could be after in free agency to fill that void. So yeah, I was quite happy to see it happen early because obviously the last two sort of players that we've done that to in Jarvis Landry and um, Sheldon, uh, Sheldon Richardson, it's it's dragged on a little bit. So nice that it got done so early and we can look forward to free agency to sort of fill that void now. Definitely. Uh, Sean, I know that you've not necessarily been too pleased with John Johnson's performances over the last uh, season at the very least. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on JJ Free departing? I think it's one of those that you'll look back and just say what could have been. It was a real disappointment of a signing. I think when 
when he signed initially, everybody thought we got a real coup, didn't they? I think it was viewed as one of the best sort of off-season moves in terms of people that would rank these things and grade them at the, you know, in terms of like initial sort of good reaction to the move. And obviously when he came, it was, it was, you know, anticipated he'd be a real key piece of the jigsaw. I think what he'll be remembered for in his time in Cleveland is probably more of the things that he said as opposed to the things that he did. He was quite vocal off the field, quite quick, I would suggest to point fingers of blame at people without necessarily looking inwards and actually looking at some of his own deficiencies. Um, to be fair to the guy, he's probably been asked to play a role that wasn't really suited to him. Um, I think, you know, in terms of what he did for the Rams and then what we asked him to do was probably, you know, a slightly different skill set. Um, obviously, you know, a one just alluded to me there, that Grand Delpit, you know, let's be honest, when we first started this podcast, we spent the first five or six weeks walking on eggshells trying to not upset uh, Jen too much because Jen's favourite player, Grandelpe, was one of the Browns' biggest liabilities for the first six weeks of the season. He came on at the back end of the season, to be fair, and you know, you're probably now quite confident in this move, not causing too many sort of, you know, long lasting ripples, so to speak. So I think it's a chance to get a true free safety. That's what we need. We need a true, you know, sort of centre fielder, a ball hawk, a playmaker. Um, you know, Delpy can continue to get closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, hopefully for John Johnson, you know, I'm sure he'll land with a red, you know, a relatively decent deal when it comes to free agency. You know, he's obviously still at an age where I think a team will take a gamble on him and, and sort of pay him quite handsomely. Um, you know, but I think it's it's one of those moves. It just seems to be logical, best for all parties. And I think, as Owen said, it's good that it's been done early doors because he knows where he's heading. The Browns know where they're heading, um, you know, and everybody can just move on. Yeah, and I think that, you know, on, on that last point, I think that you two have said pretty much everything that needed to be said on John Johnson. You know, it, it was definitely it was definitely someone where you feel that he was asked to play a role that didn't fit, but also he just didn't seem to to live up to the expectation and the hype of which a player of his calibre brought. Um, but that last point which you made there, Sean, you know, about the fact that, you know, we've been able to do this early, whereas, as Wine, you, you alluded to, we did Richardson Landry quite late. Um, you know, is this... Does this allude to a assumption that you know that, that the Browns know where they are in terms of their weaknesses from a squad building perspective? They know what they need to change and they're going to do it quickly. Or is it the glass half full where we can't do too much because of our cap number and therefore we are trying to just get rid of the one or, you know, as it, as it may transpire later on in the season, the one or two that we can get the most out of and, you know, look to look to build after that. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah, I think definitely glass half full to me, I think. Um, I think they could have easily just rolled this back to next season and, and sort of blame Joe Woods for some of the shortcomings that John Johnson had and, you know, thought... Maybe Andrew Barry could have thought going into it that he made the right decision, not admitted defeat with John Johnson and sort of tried again for a third season in the hope of, of success. But I think him looking at it and saying, look, I may have made a mistake here. I need to rectify it for the bet, you know, betterment of the team, um, which is which is quite good. And I think all of the noises coming out of the combine, etc., was you know, about them needing to address a D-line, being aggressive there, you know, needing a speedy wide receiver. Um, and then obviously the Johnson news, I think all points to, you know, every every single weakness that we've been talking about toward, you know, through the season. So I, I, I'm massively encouraged by the last couple of weeks and the noises that we're hearing coming out of the Browns camp. And, you know, obviously they'll have hundreds of plans going into these, you know, next couple of months, Um you know, as to who they get in free agency in the draft. But I think, you know, having those key issues at the forefront of those plans, I think will stand them in good stead. And I'm really excited going into this off season, to be honest. Good. 
Good. That's given me some optimism. Uh, Sean, do you, I mean, you're usually the optimistic person on this podcast. Uh, uh, maybe it's only the off season actually gets a wine optimistic. Um, you know, maybe it'll come back around to September and we'll start seeing some of that. Uh, you know, something of which we're more accustomed to. He's even he's laughing his socks off at the moment because he, he knows I'm right. Um, <laughs> Sean, are, are you feeling that as well? That you know, we we know we know what we're after. We know what needs to be done now, and that's why we're able to get the business done quickly. Do you expect things to be done quite quick? I do, yeah. And, and to be honest, I just think this was just a happy coincidence that they both sort of married up at the same time. To be honest, I think this was an area that the Browns would have looked to have made the move because the performance on the field hasn't justified the price tag. And it just so happens that obviously he's going to give us quite a good cap saving as well. Um, you know, so I think it, it, it's just like a, so a bit of a happy marriage in this particular circumstance. Um, I don't think it stops us from necessarily spending decent money at the position in terms of a replacement. We might come on to that in a minute in terms of who we might see filling that void. I, you know, I certainly don't think it means that the the Browns are just looking to move money from one position to another. It may be that that's the route that they do take, but I wouldn't suggest that necessarily a big name or a big money replacement is necessarily off the table with this move. I just think it's a, like I said, admittance, as Owen, as Owen has alluded to, that ultimately this hasn't quite worked out. We've asked him to play a role that he's not quite been able to fulfil. We've got a young player on the roster that we've asked to do the role that John Johnson might have been more established in. Um, so, like I say, I just think it, it's a, just like I say, a bit of a happy happy marriage of, of all things coming together at the right time for the Browns to, to make the move that they have done. Um, you know, and ultimately, with all of these things, if you can be in a position where you can be, you know, honest and upfront and good to the player, you know, ultimately, you know, like I say, there's nothing against John Johnson on a personal level. I hope he goes on and finds himself a good deal and, and, and all of those kind of things. This just obviously enables him the best opportunity to do that also. I think when you leave it late and and you release players and all the rest of it, all of a sudden their options become much more limited. Um, so I just think it's a good move all, all around, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, I, I would certainly think that the Browns have studied long and hard. I don't think anyone's accepting of the fact that they had the season that they had last year. Um, you know, and you know, I think that I think that's evidenced by some of the coaching moves as well as the player personnel moves. Um, I think you know we we might touch on Mike Pre for us, so I won't go into it too much. But that was obviously quite significant that's happened since the last time that we spoke, and I think the timing was something that was a little bit of a shock. But what I would suggest that sort of shows is that they have been extremely thorough, and possibly that move became. An option when he, you know, when when the replacement became an option, if that makes sense, um, you know, when they were aggressive to pursue that. So, you know, I don't think the Browns are leaving any stone unturned in this off season, which is a good thing to see. Well, you say that, and literally the next thing that was going to come out of my mouth, Sean, was, and this might actually be something which you see in the coaching side as well, which was one of the other bits of news of which we've seen in the last few weeks. Some people may have forgotten that uh, we did finally say goodbye to Mike Prefer, to the absolute joy of yourself and everyone on this podcast let's be honest um you know i don't think anyone was really a fan of his no matter as to uh as as to what he'd done previously or the fact that he's able to right his wrongs towards the end of every season by the looks of it in order to escape the sack it was a late one we didn't expect it because of the fact they didn't come during the standard hiring and firing season of week 18 um you, you know but uh, we did end up hiring Bubba Ventrone who of course was a Browns player um back in the day um he has he has experience you know at the position he, he knows obviously what it means to be a special teamer I, I think that we're all just happy to get a, di a different direction on this aren't we more than anything else and someone who understands Maybe he also understands, you know, what it's like to be a special teamer in Cleveland as well, because obviously, you know, from a kicking perspective, not that he was a kicker, but, you know, from a kicking perspective, just to be able to have that knowledge of the special teams meetings and all that and what, what it means to kick in front of the dog pound, for example, with that wind, etc., might 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 even be something there. 
Um, yeah, does anyone want to speak to that before we move on 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 that? I know coaching moves aren't something that people know a lot about, but please just shout in. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make like a ton of difference. I think special teams makes a ton of difference in in you know the outcomes of games, but I don't think. You know, with that said, I don't think you can look at the three years that we've had Mike Prefer and just accept mediocrity or, mm. you know, below average, you know, coaching and play. Um, I don't think you can use the excuse that it doesn't matter enough to not make a change. So I think it had to happen. It's, you know, it's a nice story that, you know, an ex-Browns player who's had really good success in terms of like how he's led his units in in Indianapolis to come in and, and take the reins. So, yeah, by all accounts, this is a good move. And, you know, like you said, I don't think anyone on this podcast had any complaints that Prefer went. Um, strange timing, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it was a move that all three of us thought needed to happen in this summer. And I think it's good that, you know, Stefanski's shown guts to get rid of his mate at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with that point completely, mate. And I think, you know, for me, I... I... I probably think it makes more of a difference than people realise and maybe we all give it credit for, you know, particularly like you say in in Cleveland where the weather plays a huge part in certain, you know, the sort of back end of the season field position becomes, you know, a really important part of the game, you know, and, and we're not talking about a minor upgrade here in terms of statistically, you know, Prefers units were, you know, in the bottom 10 of the league, you know, I thought sort of 24th, 25th is sort of where we were ranking in most special teams categories. You know, we're talking about leaping up into the top five in most special team categories. I think, you know, the Colts have been ranked, you know, sort of fourth, fifth, sort of consistently as units. So, you know, you're not talking about a small increase here. You're talking about significant gains in terms of this coaching hire. Um, I think he's obviously a very bright mind. I think it's interesting that they've put him down as the assistant head coach as well as the special teams coordinator. Now, some people might view that as a negative, that he's obviously a prime candidate for poaching away once we get to the next round of coaching hires. All I will ever say with that is that would suggest he's doing a damn good job with what we brought him in to do. So I'm more than happy with that. If we only get 12 months of a really good special teams unit, this will be viewed as a successful hire. Don't view that the coach Leo leaving is a bad thing. That would suggest that the coach has, has done his job. So, you know, for me, I think it's a really good hire. Um, I think it's a brave hire, you know, in terms of, you know, the people that are, are sort of, you know, detracting from what Kevin Stefanski can or can't do to bring somebody in that is viewed with the potential of possibly being in not maybe in the next round, but certainly within the next couple of rounds of head coaching hires, you know, to bring somebody into the staff that potentially is viewed in that regard. I think he's a brave move, but I also think he shows the conviction that Kevin Stefanski feels that he's got the backing and the belief of the organisation and he's happy to put these people in place for the betterment of the team. So, you know, a really encouraging hire for me. And I think, you know, coupled with, Jim Swartz that we talked about, he feels just like a real safe pair of hands, you know, probably what was needed, a bit of experience, um, you know, and obviously has had really good success in recent times with the Eagles in particular. You know, he had a really formidable defensive line. Um, you know, I think the Browns coaching staff, if you were certainly looking at, you know, on a, on a sort of paper grading scale, has certainly massively improved in the off-season. I'm liking this. There's a lot of there's a, actually a real lot lot of optimism here, and uh, I, I was coming into this sort of reading between the lines. Maybe I'm more of a negative front, but uh, no, there's that uh, there there is a lot of positivity here. I, I when I first saw the news, I was like, bleeding net, we got rid of him now. That means that either we've we've made a move and we're just finalising it, or we've really pissed someone off and he's walked. <laughs> And me being the typical, me being the typical Browns fan that has seen everything, honestly expected a bust up or something, where he's got blamed for something. Because let's face it, there is a lot that you could have thrown his way. Um, you know, I, I just want a guy that's going to train us up on stopping onside kicks from getting recovered and stuff like that. You know, I, I just want the simple stuff sorted. But so, um, yeah, I went in with that mindset. And then we see that the um, Bubba Ventrain deal went through um, later that day and just breathed a massive sigh of relief. It was just the case of, oh, no, OK, we're competent. We are competent. OK, this this offseason's going fine. 
Um, you, you'll get that from me a lot, folks. This uh, this summer, I just I just want a competent win um, off season window for once. That is literally all I'm asking for, and something that could help us with that. Um, this was an interesting thing that came out of the combine as well is that um andrew berry in his interview with the press said that he would be open to the idea of restructuring deshaun watson's contract in order to free up some extra cap space and apparently according to reports from mary Kay cabot and others um Deshaun Watson is open to that as well. Um now obviously all all this basically means for those of you who don't know cat magic, I myself am one of those people who do not know cat magic all that well. So a wine I assume will be darting eyes at me through the screen as I say this. But essentially because this is a fully guaranteed contract, it's essentially awarding salary as bonus rather than as salary and that therefore can bring the cap number down but you can only do that with a certain amount so and also you can push money to other years rather than this year um why am i on the right track here i i feel i feel like i am ish so i'm no cap expert either what i would say anyone that you know is struggling to understand the cap or wants, you know, any specific Browns, you know, conversation about cap, I, I'd advise you to talk to my mate, Jack Duffin. He's, he's, uh, you know, shit hot with the cap, as I would say. Um, whatever questions you have, he'll answer. Um, I think, you know, speaking to him this week, I think he said that we've got a, a maximum to be able to get up to about 90 million um seriously yeah with with restructures to um to different players he's been saying basically since this since the watson trade last season that he was a banker to get restructured this season regardless of what happened so he's been saying that um they were gonna wait yeah he was saying that they were gonna wait i think until this week until after the franchise tag deadline because if they restructured before the franchise tag, that meant that the average salary for a QB was lower, meaning... So it screws Ravens, up the Lamar Jackson deal. Yeah, so the Ravens would have oh, had a like it. The franchise the tag. The chess so, game is afoot. Definitely. So it made sense for the Browns to wait until after this week. So the Ravens got screwed up with a few extra million, which is just lovely to see as well. A little bit of... Uh, oh, isn't it just... Isn't it just, yes, I am so glad of this chess game. Sean, me and you have spoken about this at length. Um, you know, trying to find a glimmer of hope, uh, a, a glimmer of light in what was the Deshaun Watson contract, <laughs> and that being the Lamar Jackson saga. We'll come on to it a bit later. I've got a whole thing about the NFL in general, but, um, you know, knowing that there is, you know, you know, that sort of chess game at play where we're actively dragging up the the cap space used by Lamar Jackson by Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, you know that 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 just that that just helps, doesn't it? That 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 just makes you sleep a little easier. Yeah, look, you could see the reaction when the deal was made last year. I think as much as anything, that was the thing that really shocked people. It was the amount of guaranteed money and and, and the sort of structure of the deal. That was the thing that really sort of sh- you know sent shockwaves through the league. You know, the fact that we paid. All the compensation that we did, I think that was neither here nor there. Ultimately, if he turns out to be a good quarterback, we'll look back at that and think, well, that was a small price to pay in terms of the draft picks and and all the rest of it. I think at the time, it was the fact that the contract was was so weird compared to anything else that we had seen. Um, you know, I don't think the Browns did it with any intention of necessarily causing these ripples down the line. I think the reality is at the time. Rightly or wrongly, it became a genuine bidding war. And let's face it, it was going to be whatever was the best offer that was on the table, which the Browns put all the chips in. And, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson went with that. So I don't think there was any massive plan as much as we speculated and wanted to, you know, potentially give credit for the fact that that might screw people up down the line. I just think it was a desperation move to to try and get the man that they determined was the man that they wanted, rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, 
with that being said, if it does give us some long-term benefits, then, you know, absolutely take anything that's on board. As you say, you know, we'll talk about the Marjacks and we'll talk about the rest of the league. You know, if that move ultimately means that Lamar Jackson ends up leaving the AFC North, potentially people might look back at it and say, from a compensation point of view, it was worth it. So, you know, I think it's one of those, you know, sort of like I say, consequences that's come of it, um, you know, that potentially gives additional benefit. But I, I, I wouldn't like to give them credit for thinking that that was with the thought process all along. I'd like to think there's some high-level chess, just a little bit, just uh, j- just because, just just because I did think that when they started talking about Lamar Jackson's contract and the fact that he wanted that money, they're thinking surely, surely it's in the back of someone's head that that would have caused chaos. But maybe I'm maybe I'm just thinking a bit too much on that. So you're saying up to ninety million could be repurposed in cap obviously that's with all the players that could be re um that that could be restructured and obviously that cap comes back to bite you at some point because cap you know cap space doesn't just doesn't just free up without some sort of consequence so the questions posed to the pair of you and it can just be a one-liner if you'd like you know is this the year where you would want to see something like that happen. You see teams go for broke, as it were, a lot. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, it would work. You know, would you rather us break the piggy bank and do that now and maybe get one to two years window where everything is go? Or would you prefer a more nuanced approach where you just try and get better at the places where you are really, really struggling, you know, focus up on maybe two or three spots and try and build something long-term, even if it's not flashy and something of which might be able to get you up there this season. Whoever wants to shout out first. Um, For me, I would rather something more long-term. I think, my opinion of it is that when you get into the playoffs, which we should do, you know, the majority of the years now with, you know, I put in air quotes and elite quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. Good use of air quotes. Um, I think when you do get into the playoffs, it becomes a bit of a, a crapshoot for a want of a better term. I think, you know, a lot of luck comes into it. Whoever gets hot at a certain time. So don't put a massive amount of credence into whoever's got the best team wins. Um, I think this season, maybe in the NFC, you could put a little bit of credence into that because the Eagles had, you know, a little bit of a super squad there. Mm. But they also ran into an NFC that was, you know, at an all-time low. In, in, yeah, you know, the the Philadelphia schedule, if you look back, is flipping fairy town frolics when you 100%. actually look it back. Hundred percent, and you look at you know a team like the Chiefs who traded a bit, traded away you know either their best or their second best you know pass catcher last season, in Tyree Kill, and you know haven't got a million superstars on that squad, but every season they're in the playoffs, they're challenging for the AFC, they're challenging for a Super Bowl. So for me, I would rather the longevity of just being in and around the playoffs every season, and then hoping to catch fire at the right time, rather than really pushing the boat up for two seasons. And, you know, if you get an injury or two there, you might be, you know, knackered for those two seasons anyway. So, for me, I would go with a longevity approach. But I can understand people who want to put the, you know, put the chips all in because we've had so little success, in the, you know, since returning to the NFL that I can understand why people would, would take the opposite approach. Now, Sean, you're a man that loves to go for it on fourth and three every single time, no matter where you are on the field. You're in one yard line, sod it. Do you go all in or do you go for the long game? Well, I'd love to be fourth and three from my own one yard line. That, that, that'd be a hell of a that'd be a hell I mean, of a starting. Browns. It's the Browns; that, they could do it. That'd be a hell of a starting position for the drive, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, look, I'm probably more inclined to go for the all-in approach in as much as I just think... I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, no, listen, I knew it as soon as you were asking the question, and that's why, you know, that's why me that's and... That's why I, I asked why... it, because I knew I'd get the... Yeah. Brilliant. That's why, I love you that's, too. That's why you wanted us to on this podcast. You know, we got different views. Um, 
But yeah, in all seriousness, like so, I would probably be more inclined to go for that approach. I, I just think that success over a long period of time is very, very, very difficult. The league is just so geared up to be ultra competitive. It's geared up so that you know the the worst team gets the best draft picks. It's you know the the worst teams get the best schedules. All all of that kind of good stuff which make the league what it is and make it what we love and so competitive. Um, you know, for me, I think I think ultimately the next two years really are absolutely key. I do think Sean Watson gets restructured. I think that was a no-brainer when he signed, as, as we say. So we're almost operating in a little bit of a fabricated position, if you like, for the next two years anyway, in as much as we've, we've agreed to pay him $230 million dollars and effectively we'll pay in the grand sum of, of sod all over the first two years from a cap perspective. Um, you know, so if it doesn't work this year, then we're really on the hook for the next three years, you know, whichever way we slice it. So, you know, for me, I would, I would absolutely take that gamble. Um, I understand the other point of view as well, don't get me wrong, but I just think it's just so hard to have that sustained level of success. And ultimately, you know, it'd be great to go to the playoffs every year. But if you said to me, if you gave me the choice now, you go to the playoffs every year for the next decade or you win one Super Bowl in the next decade, which would you choose? It's it's just a really, really hard question to answer, isn't it? Because, you know, if it was 10 years against the playoffs but never winning the big one, but doing it once and then potentially for nine years ending up with a top five draft pick, what would you go for? You know, you'd have nine really shitty years, don't get me wrong, but you'd ultimately win the big one. The honest answer is there's, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways in which you can do this and not every approach is, is necessarily successful, but, you know, I would do everything I could to maximise my opportunity to, to try and win the Super Bowl. I think they've got an opportunity this year to do that. I think they would deliberately not overly aggressive in free agency last year. Um, they deliberately didn't spend the cap space that they so they could roll it over. If you actually look at cap space for this year, um, don't worry about at the minute open cap space. Just look at the cap numbers for the teams. The Cleveland Browns have got the most amount of cap space to spend this year in terms of individual teams because they've rolled so much over from previous they knew years. What they were going to have to pay. Yeah, no, but, but exactly that, man. That's what I'm saying. It's all part of this plan, isn't it? And that's what I'm saying. This, to me, is very much now the window that says, right, you know, you've done what you've done for the last year or two to get yourself into this position. Now you've got yourself into this position. Now you've got to capitalise on the position that you've got yourself into. We joked and we talked about it at the back end of last season. We've got the ideal schedule, in as much as we've got a fourth-place schedule. You know, in theory, like I say, once the quarterback gets restructured, which I think is almost definitively going to happen, we've released JJ3 or we're going to, all of a sudden, this, you know, people worrying about cap space, you know, I don't think we'll get to the 90 million that that I quoted earlier, but we're going to have a significant amount of cap space in which to go and play and, and spend money with, you know. So I think the Browns are in a, in a really good position if they want to become aggressive, let's put it that way. No, that's fair. In in regards to your, would I pick us get you know winning the Super Bowl one year at and not getting to the playoffs and in the other nine versus being in the playoffs ten times? Are you saying, but never actually like win the Super Bowl? Is that is that what you were saying? Saying that? Oh yeah, because yeah. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if, you, if you could open that up to being, you know, one time winning the Super Bowl or ten times in the playoffs and you don't know if you win it or not, then I'd probably pick the 10 personally, because you have that, you have that potential to be that dynasty. But um, I can, I can definitely see that point of view. Personally, I'm more on the wine train as you can probably imagine. Um, but uh I, I can appreciate the uh, the gusto. I knew that you were going to anyway. I I, I I knew as soon as I as soon as I thought of the question in my mind that you would be. You don't believe in cap anyway. 
you've said you've said plenty of times you don't truly believe in the cap so <laughs> yeah, yeah i'd actually quite like to for, for you and uh, jack duffin to have a um to have a chance <laughs> uh, in, in one of these because i actually think that would be the funniest hour possible me and i would just be completely quiet and we'll just <laughs> listen to to you know hard cap versus no cap and see as to what happens there we go. I thought of a I thought of a fun little uh, summer one. Maybe we'll make it happen. Maybe not. Um, I tell you what, Sean, we'll stick with you um, for this, just because you've created this utopia now where we have all this money to spend, um, and free agency is starting next week. Um, next Friday, I believe it is. Is is it next Friday? No, next Wednesday is when. Uh, teams are able to start tampering with unrestricted free agents. So what are your hopes and expectations when it comes to free agency? You know, you've got 90 million in cap in this world of yours. You know, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your desires? And then what do you expect to actually happen? Uh, My hopes are that we go and get Jesse Bates from the Bengals in terms of replacement for John Johnson. That's what I said earlier. I don't think the release of John Johnson necessarily means that we don't spend the money at the position. I think Jesse Bates would be the prized acquisition in terms of the um, sort of defensive backfield in this free agency period. More importantly, I also think it weakens a rival and a, you know, a divisional rival at that. Um, so that for me would be, if we could only make one move, that would probably be the move I'd want us to make. If you gave me a shopping list and you said you had to prioritise one, um, I think there are other options there. Um, you know, Thornhill's another one that gets mentioned a lot. I think Hawaii's quite keen on Thornhill for that position. Um, you know, so you know there are options there, but I think Jesse Bates would be the one if you gave me a wish list on, I'd like to take. Um, I'd love to see Javon Hargrave in terms of the defensive line. Um, I think the Eagles have got an absolute embarrassment of riches there. I don't think they're going to be able to retain everybody. Um, the one thing I would say is everything I've read and heard, or certainly from the rumour mill, suggests that you're talking a ridiculously large number for Javon Hargrave. Um, you know, whether the Browns will want to play in that kind of, you know, sort of money that's been talked about, who knows. Um, but I think defensive line will certainly be a position that they'll look to target. Um, I know Deron Payne's another name that a lot of people uh, have sort of mentioned and like, I think, you know, in terms of splash um, players there. But for me, what I would actually like them to do, and like I said, this is where I think Jesse Bates would be the one that I'd look for from a splash point of view. I'd like to see a little bit more value for money in terms of the defensive line. I'd like somebody like, um, I, I can never pronounce his name right, is it Ian Ardes, um from the Panthers? Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, that that for me would be the one, you know, in terms of the you know the big guy, the one that's going to eat space, take up the double teams. Now, I'd like to see them bring in two or three bodies across that defensive line, um, you know, because for me that's the biggest weakness in terms of a singular position on the team, um, you know. So that's where I'd like them to spend money. You know, if if we're being ultra optimistic, you know, there's there's other things that potentially. They could do. I know there's you a world that people... mil, mate. You only have 90 mil. <laughs> yeah, but listen, mate, it's you know, 90 mil and you know, there's, there's means and ways, mate. The, the Saints have just signed bloody Derek Carr. Don't tell me we've only got 90 million. We could spend 900 million and make it work if we needed to. You know, but you know, I, I wouldn't do it personally. I know there's a lot of people that are quite keen on DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins in terms of his relationship with Watson. I just don't see how that works. Personally, I would rather get down the line of of re-signing DPJ than committing big sort of money in compensation for, for DeAndre Hopkins. So mm. I'll, I'll let a wine come in, mate, because I think I could go through a, a whole heap of them. But for me, if you if you said to me, sign one player, it'd be Jesse Bates. But my overriding wish and what I hope will happen, they may well address that free safety position, but I think it's, it's just beefing up that defensive line because I think they need experience there. We've got too much youth there outside of Miles Garrett, who's obviously the premier player, but also the most experienced on that line. You look at the rest of it, they're all two or three years of experience, or the rookies. We we need some nows and we need some experience on that defensive line. So that that's where I would be spending the vast majority of the cash. Cool. Yeah. Right. 
for me, I've gone back and forth on on what to do with safety. Like, I, I can understand completely Sean's Sean's thought process with going with Jesse Bates, but I just think for me, our experience of going with top of the market players isn't good to start. Mm. I just think like I think PFF has Jesse Bates, and I think I don't know whether it was sixteen or eighteen million per year. But it's a lot of money, and I think if you go there, either you are pushing all of those chips in, or if you're not pushing all of those chips in, you're going real cheap with the the defensive line. Mm. Uh, and I I just look at what happened last year, and I think you need you need more on the defensive line. So for me, I would go cheaper a safety. I would go, I would go with Thornhill. I think I think to be honest with you, I think he's going to be more sought after than what people realise. I think his market value has already risen from 5.5 million per year to 7.5 million a year after the combine. So that sort of tells you what the league think about him, I think, um, through little whispers. The other name I would mention is Nasir Adderley from the Chargers, another true free safety. And he's meant, he's projected to be really cheap. So he's projected as something like 2 million a year and for me that's where you get value out of these free agents and I think I'd take a shot at him former uh, second round pick for the Chargers goes under the radar playing next to one of the best safeties in the league in Derwin James um, and if you're going to pick him up for like 2 million 3 million a season I, I would give him give him 2-3 years and you know you've got, you've got less to less to lose there the other name I'd mention is safety Adrian Amos Obviously an That's exactly who I was going to bring up. Yeah, I think older that he worked way too well. Yeah, like he, he's had one down season and I think people have written him off in, in a season where the Packers' defence wasn't particularly good anyway. So I'd, drives I'd, that I'd value down. Yeah, I'd bet on him having a, having a bounce back. Um, so he's the other one that I would think of there. Along the defensive line... I'll only bring up two names. I don't want to flood the podcast with with a million names. Um, <laughs> I appreciate two that. Names and two in completely different brackets. So the first one along the higher higher end of it is Marcus Davenport from the New Orleans Saints. I think shocker. Yeah, <laughs> number one on PFF's board. Yeah, but two seasons ago, two seasons ago, Trey Hendrickson came out after a a, a bit of a breakout year for the Saints. And nobody was convinced that paying him was a good idea. Nobody was convinced because everyone thought he'd get the bag and then, you know, mm. produce nothing for whatever team he went on. And he went on to have really good success. So Marcus Davenport, I'd be interested with if they're going to really splash out on that second edge. And then the other one would be someone on the opposite scale, someone who got drafted really highly and it's not really produced out to the Oakland Raiders, and that's Cleveland Farrell. Um, okay. And again, that's just low value and betting on on a bit of a you know explosion on what people thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. So it's something that Andrew Berry has done throughout his his time as a Cleveland Brown is bet on you know those draft evaluations. Um, and yeah, I, I'd take a punt on Cleveland Farrell as long as the price is reasonable. Yeah, I don't hate any of the names of which either of you have said, actually. And I do think, I think that they'll go big on one and not on the other. But I think that we all seem to have a consensus here. I haven't heard any wide receiver names from the pair of you. It's just not going to happen in free agency, is it? No, I think that there's obviously been, I think, another Browns podcast that came out, uh, former Browns player Tyvis Powell um, was on a podcast last night and had mentioned that he'd spoken to Paris Campbell this week, um, who was interested in in coming back to Ohio and playing for the Browns. But I think like a 7.5 mil projected, that's a lot of money for someone who hasn't done anything in the league apart from being injured. So, and yeah. to be honest, he's the only one that I would be any anywhere close to interested in, in in that class. So yeah, I'd stay away from all of them with a barge pole and, and, and draft one because... To be frank with you, I think this draft class it produces what the Browns need in spades. So I, w- I would uh, I stick to the draft on that one. 
you are literally the only person to speak positively about the wide receiver class in this draft. Yeah, I just class. think it fits what the Browns need really nicely. I, I, I think it's reasonable for people to be down on the class because there's not a lot of ex-receivers going to come out and, and do what Garrett Wilson did, what Olave did last season, what you know some people think Drake London could be in the league, not my cup of tea, but you know there's not many ex-receivers going to come out of this draft, but for me, the Browns don't need an X receiver. They need a slot, slot receiver that can. Yeah, they need a Y, uh, don't they? Yeah, yeah, or a Y. Yeah, yeah, Y Z. Yeah. Someone who can produce after the catch. Someone with a bit of juice. And I think there's plenty of it in this draft class, which is, you know, music to to Browns fans' ears, in my opinion. Yeah, um, because of the time, I, I can see here that you say that you don't think we'll have time with for them up today, and I absolutely agree. What we'll do is for um, for anyone that wants it, we'll start putting out mocks on the uh, on our Twitter page. Um, but, you know, in between, and when we have more time, we might do one or two on the show as well. So uh, keep an eye on our Twitter pages for that, because I'm pretty sure that the wine's going to come up with some bangers between now and April. Um, yeah. Just just for any of you who are screaming at your chosen podcast provider, as we say, that we're steering clear of the wide receiver class, let me just run through what PFF classes as the best in class at wide receiver for the unrestricted free agent market. So Jacoby Myers is number one. Do I just stop here? Jacoby Myers is considered number one. Can you read out how much is projected uh, cap is for our, our beloved listeners? Uh, I actually don't have it. The, I, so I have a list that does not head, give me projected cap. Off the top of my head, is sixteen million a year. Ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. If anyone pays him that, they are desperate fools. That's ridiculous. Number two, Juju Smith-Schuster. Really, really? No, not with a barge pole. Odell Beckham Jr. comes in at number three. <laughs> Something. Who wants to start that, that madness yeah. again? Certainly not me. Michael Thomas at number four. Please see number three. <laughs> and then DJ Chark Jr., who I've seen a lot of chatter about on Twitter from some Browns fans saying that he would be a good fit. I mean... I don't mind that one. No, I, I do one. feel like the cost projection is going to be too high, though. I think he's he's projected a 10 mil off the top of my head, which is what he got last year, and I think is pretty reasonable. Again, do I think he's what the Browns need in a wide receiver. No, not particularly, but if you say you're going to give him a three year deal as well. Yeah. But if, yeah, that's, that's the point that I want to make that if your thought process is going in is I'm not paying DPJ or this is the last year of Amari Cooper. And then maybe you think, oh, maybe I do need an outside receiver. Then he starts to become interesting to me as, you know, a longer term wide receiver. But again, injuries have plagued him badly over his career so you wonder if you're going to get the value out of that yeah and then between him and Paris Campbell is Alan Lazard <laughs> I mean personally I actually didn't I don't think he's what we need um personally I don't mind him as a receiver but I think that he's the antithesis of what we need in a wide receiver going into this so it doesn't make much sense hope that that's wrapped it all up for you in the why we're not hot on wide receivers in this unrestricted free agency class but we look forward to in two weeks time telling you all about how we love our new um, our new unrestricted free agent signing who was definitely a wide receiver and how they're going to blow the league for us yes we are those people who think very critically um so yeah i'm going to round that off from a browns perspective folks i'm just going to take a quick five to ten minute detour just to talk about some of the things of which we've learned from around the tag deadline obviously this is the time of year for those of you who don't know where clubs have had to designate um designate who they are holding on to via the absolute uh clutch um that that is the franchise tag where basically they clamp onto their talent that they're not ready to commit to, but they are more than happy to keep on for a year while they decide. Um, you, you know, maybe it's because a deal isn't wound up yet, like with Lamar Jackson. Maybe it's because they are thinking of dropping them at the end of that because they'll have gotten their use out of it, like maybe the Giants are thinking with Saquon Barkley. I didn't say that. Or um, 
maybe it is simply the case that they want to get a bit more value from the deal before paying them something massive. Um, so a few deals have gone in and around. The, the the first one actually was one of which we always thought was going to happen, was Derek Carr being moved, but ended up going to the New Orleans Saints. Um, you know, I, there's not much to talk about there, but that's interesting in itself, the, the, the fact that the Raiders have now officially moved on from it, which makes that AFC west look a little different at the very least because you've got to feel like they are at least having to do something different in order to stay competitive i'm pretty sure that stidham's not the answer there unless they're planning to they're planning to move forward with him of which would be a choice um but another afc team is definitely making waves um in that quarterback hunt and that's the new york jets the New York Jets have apparently spoken with Aaron Rodgers for the past two days in the um, in the attempt to lock him down. The Packers are very much hoping that uh, Aaron Rodgers will just retire off into the sunset, but they've given the Jets the blessing to start talking to Aaron Rodgers now. Now, he wasn't in danger of getting tagged this year. Um, he's still a year left on his contract, but um, you know the Jets are definitely making. What what do we think about this? You know, Aaron Rodgers moving into the AFC. You know, is this very much a, a swan song that we maybe didn't need? It feels very Favre esque, just that he's not moving to the Vikings. He's actually moving out of conference. Um, you, you know, is his goose cooked, and this is just one final way for him to stay relevant, or? You know, do do we really see something here that makes the Jets a threat? Because they were one of the up and coming teams this year. I think it would be a great move short term for the Jets. I don't think it's you know anything long term. Um, Rogers hasn't got a lot left in him. I don't think in you know in a mental sense. I think he's he's got maybe one or two years left in him that he wants to play if he does want to play. But again, it's what we talked about earlier. Do you want to cash all your chips in, go for it for two years in hope of a Super Bowl? Or do you want to try and extend that window over a prolonged period of time? And I think for the Jets, it probably makes sense to go for it now. And I think Rodgers has got more than enough in his locker at the minute to take a Jets team that's you know really on the up and do good things with them. Um, obviously, they're in a tough division for a start. Um, and then... You look at the conference as a whole, really tough. You wonder how much Rogers wants to go through that that battle. But if he does, I think it makes the Jets real contenders. I don't know about you, Sean. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned on it from a from you know from with what Brown's hat on, so to speak. I think, like you say, he's obviously an upgrade on what the Jets have had. But I think he potentially moves from a much weaker conference overall, particularly at the quarterback position. Um, you know, I think the AFC is far more loaded with quarterbacks compared to the NFC. Um, you know, so I certainly wouldn't be massively concerned. I think it does mean that the Jets move into win now at all costs mode. Um, and I think they're in a really competitive division. I don't think Buffalo are going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Miami are obviously a team that made the playoffs last year. Um, you know, an outside of injuries could have had a much better season than what they did. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't be massively concerned with that move, particularly if it does happen. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a move that, like you say, probably improves the Jets in terms of the 23 season. Whether it improves them much beyond that, I think that remains to be seen, to be completely honest. Fair. And then the other major thing we've obviously touched on it already Lamar Jackson getting the non-exclusive tender tag uh, of which is something which we all expected what we didn't expect was the fact that literally every team that was interested in Lamar Jackson has seemingly lost interest overnight Um, the particulars of this of course are that with a we have a franchise tag of Lamar Jackson's, um, you, you know, 
position, it would cost them two first rounders to even have a seat at the table. And then they would have to outbid what the Ravens would actually pay. Um, obviously, the Lamar Jackson has been in a standoff pretty much with the Ravens looking for something akin to the Watson deal. Um, you know, as to whether or not that's completely true or not is, you know, a talk between between people who aren't the organization and aren't Lamar J- Jackson. But, um, you know, are we surprised at the fact that teams have dropped hands at this point? Personally, I'm not too surprised because two first rounders plus a Watson contract for a guy who hasn't played nine of 21 games. That's his current injury record. Nine of the past 21 games. That's 42%, I think it is, um, you know, of games he's not played for. You know, can you really give up that that amount of capital if you're not the Browns and getting to Sean Watson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think for me, I think it's quite clever of the Ravens. I know there's been different people's approach to this in terms of whether they should or shouldn't have gone with a non-exclusive. I think the fact that they've done that allows, like you say, them to really gauge how much of a problem this is for them. I think they really are in the driving seat with this in as much as they've really set the offence up to really play to Lamar Jackson's strengths. Um, I'm not sure how much of a market there genuinely is for him. I think if you look around the league at the places that would seemingly be destinations we talked a little bit, didn't we, in the off-season, you know, when the off-season first started. The Falcons, they've seemingly sort of said, no, they're not interested. The Saints, we've obviously sort of said about Derek Carr, obviously ending up over there, so that one's off the table. The Jets would have been another one. They obviously seem, like you say, at the minute, at least, interested in whether or not they can convince Aaron Rodgers. And you start to sort of, like I say, go around, and, and there doesn't seem to be many massively logical landing spots. He's, he's a, he has got to be the most polarising player in the league in the last five to six years because if you look at it purely from a statistical point of view with wins and losses, the Ravens win more games than they lose when he plays. It's as simple as that. Mm. But Whereas other quarterbacks seemingly get the credit for win and loss records, Lamar Jackson just doesn't. Um, you know, we, there always seems to be a sort of narrative and, and what have you behind the fact that, um, you know, because of his playing style, because he doesn't, you know, he's not the pro, you know, the sort of stereotypical sit in the pocket and, and throw it all around the field quarterback. Maybe he just doesn't get the credit that he, he, he probably ultimately deserves. But, from a Browns perspective, the absolute best thing that can happen in this situation is he ends up somewhere outside of Baltimore, Pittsburgh or Cincinnati. It's as simple as that because as much as I can sit here and critique him and say he's not the best quarterback in the world and this, that and the other, the reality is, like I just said, he wins plenty of games. He has done consistently he certainly always seemingly had an answer for the Cleveland Browns. So if we can get rid of him out of the division, then that will be absolutely the ultimate answer that we would be looking for as Browns fans. So I hope it doesn't work out. I hope he ends up somewhere. The honest answer is I think he ends up, in all honesty, probably playing on the franchise tag this year if he does play. Um, yeah. I know there'll be a lot of to and froing as to whether he will or whether he won't sign it. It's one of those things that, to be honest, I'm surprised in this day and age in the collective bargaining agreement that the franchise tag still exists. I'm amazed that the CBA haven't negotiated it away as of yet, but I almost think Lamar Jackson will be almost kept hostage for another year, to be honest, in Baltimore. I think that's ultimately what ends up happening here because I don't think they'll agree to a long-term deal. Yeah, why what do you make of it? First of all, the teams not coming in for him and then the wider implications. I honestly can't understand it. You know, I, I take on board everything you said in terms of the injuries and stuff. I do think he made a business decision this season in not playing as much as he did towards the end of the season. Um, I think that was very much calculated in 
um, his negotiating stance for one and the fact that he's obviously coming up to a contract year and he didn't want to get injured is probably another thing weighing on his mind. So um, I think he probably could have, well, you know, it's hard for me to say that, but I, I reckon he could have made a, a business decision this season. Um, but two first-rounders in the grand scheme of things isn't a great deal to pay for an MVP calibre quarterback in, you know, the most important position in all the sports. I think, you know, if if the Jets do get hold of Rodgers, you're probably looking at at least one first-round pick for Rodgers and you're looking at that for two years. Hmm. So, for me, to have a player like Lamar Jackson for, you know, you would you would hope five to ten years is, is well worth two first-round picks. You look at, you know, the situation we were in last year, I know it's not a great example because of the desperation that we were in, but we've spent three first-rounders and multiple other picks on a player that had just been cleared for going to jail. Yeah. And had not played played in two seasons, well, one season and was looking likely that he wasn't going to play a big part of the next one. So for me, all of the reasons for not paying him and not trading for him are null and void when you consider other, you know, Russ, Russ, for example, has gone for two ones and a couple of players and, you know, another couple of picks and why he's, you know, mid thirties. Mm. So to me, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. I, I would have thought someone would have taken a flyer on it and, you know, straight away. But I did, I did hear one interesting theory. Um, I don't know how much, you know, I buy into it, but there was a theory put out there today. I think it was Kevin Cole um, on his podcast, Unexpected Points. Good listen if if you're at a loose end. Um, he said that because this can drag on until like the start of the season, basically, the teams could literally wait until after the draft, conduct their draft business this year and then trade for him with future assets as opposed to assets that they would need to surround him with talent this season, which is actually an interesting way to look at it. I don't think I believe it because I think if a team was that desperate, they wouldn't want the bidding war that comes after the draft anyway. But if that is something that's playing on GM's mind, I think that would be a clever way to go about it if you were different teams. Because, you know, say, say for example, you're Carolina Panthers and you're picking nine ninth in this draft or Detroit and you're picking in the top 10 and you and you want the you want the earlier draft pick now and you want to trade away the later ones later yeah exactly and you know if you are the Panthers are nine instead of giving up nine this year you you use our ninth pick this year you trade for Lamar Jackson and you're probably not picking until the 20s next year anyway. So that, that pick automatically has a lot less value, those next two first-round picks. So I think that would be a really big brain way to go about it if if there are GMs out there, you know, taking that, that course of action. But I just don't give the NFL enough credit to think that way, to be honest. Well, let's hope that some of them are listening to uh, listening to that podcast because that would uh, that would definitely be some some high level chess going on. Um, yeah, and on that bombshell, I think we'll leave it there, gents. Um, thanks very much for joining us on what is a snowy Wednesday evening. I hope that everyone's enjoyed the listen. We'll be back maybe maybe a week, maybe a couple of weeks. Um, might might let free agency weekend take its. Uh, take take its toll before coming back on so we have some more browns news to touch upon and then from that point we'll probably be looking towards the draft um oh wine do you did you win the nfl pickums uh for the I, cleveland bricks I, podcast I, gotta be honest, I didn't even i didn't even look the whole playoff debacle and last <laughs> week of the season when i couldn't get on to the actual website until until it was too late really um yeah. eved me um, now that's fine. Yeah, I can't actually get onto the site. I think they've deleted the site now, which means I can't see amazing. as to who it was. If you believe it, you have a claim to winning the Believe in Brits division because I think the last it was close. Time I, the last time I checked, I think it was because didn't we say that they started off the playoff bracket and then and then they brought it back? Yeah. So I think at the end of the season, I think 
me and someone else were tied, I want to say, and I may have been behind on margin. So I can't yeah. remember. If you're there. listening to this podcast and you think that you were that person that was tied, I'm going to give you until the draft to come forward. Otherwise, a wine's won himself a bubble hat. Um, I would be a lot more scientific with it, but the site literally doesn't exist anymore. So if you believe that you were in with that claim and I can actively recite your name from memory, because I was looking at a damn table enough time to be able to know who was in and around that point. So Mark Bartel, I know you're listening, but you definitely weren't the one that was <laughs> up at the top. I know that you'll probably look to give it a go anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if that person can come forward, um, then let me know. If not, a wine's won himself a nice little bubble hat for his, uh, for his sins over the last uh, four months. Um, I've, I think that you've ended up getting it for uh, the full 10 yards one anyway, so I think you got at least one coming your way. Um, but yeah, that's all that we've got time for today. We'll be back probably in a couple of weeks, so just stay tuned. Um, also, keep an eye on the uh, on the Twitter page. It will be updated every now and then, mainly with mock drafts and a few bits of Browns news as and when it comes on. Sean, cheers for joining us from Newcastle as well. Do appreciate you taking time out with your new work colleagues to come and talk to us. It definitely was not planned. All I heard was I'm up in Newcastle and thought it was just going to be me and a wine today. A wine robbed of the cosy little night in between us. But um, thank you for your insight as ever. This has been the Believe in Bricks podcast. We'll see you soon. 